Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is somebody, I've read many of his books. He's a great writer, and uh, you can tell from reading the books that he is a deep and careful thinker as, as well um, about stuff, even though he's writing uh, often about, uh, or certainly in his last couple books about the history, it's amazing how applicable uh, the things in the books are to the world we are currently living in. And um, I guess is Roger Lowenstein. Is it Lowenstein or Lowenstein? How do you pronounce Lowenstein, it? Lowenstein, you got it, you got it. All right, I got it on the first try, good. Man, good. I've, I, I've read your books since the beginning of, of you writing them. And uh, I am fascinated by how you do what you do and by why. And I, I think, a, a, you know, your newest book's about Lincoln, called Ways and Means, and it's about the way in which he and his team of people were able to raise money to support the war effort. It's fascinating. I'm halfway through this one. I've, I've read the, uh, the Federal Bank book, and I'm halfway through the Lincoln book, and I'm absolutely loving it. It's, and it's, I can't believe how a- applicable it is just when you talk about the way different factions of the country think and how in- intractable they are. Well, thank you very much for that uh, kind introduction. I think, um, to me, the extraordinary thing that happened along with the financing was how uh, the Lincoln government, the Republicans, Lincoln, his Secretary of the Treasury, Sam and Chase, Republicans yes. in Congress, changed the country in so doing. They not only um, financed the Civil War, enabling them to defeat the Confederacy, which had a different philosophy and didn't get the financing by any means, but they expand. They they expanded and and uh, catalyzed our notion of what the federal government uh, could do. Uh, we often think, I think, of the of the New Deal period as as, as where all that started. But um, a major point of the book is that so much started: uh, national currency, national banking system, uh, railroad going across the country, you know, federal government supporting uh, higher education in colleges, and on and on. Uh, started with this guy from uh, from Illinois who thought that the federal government should be there to help uh, create opportunity for others. So. Well, yeah, it's true that a lot of stuff was catalyzed. The book also is about what calcifies and has calcified. And that reading it now is, it's stark, right? The, in other words, how some of the differences, some of our conceptions of each other really calcified around that time and haven't changed all that much. Well, certainly um, conceptions of uh, the North and South, you know, the, the, the slavery issue, existed between them since the founding. The founders knew it was there until about um, the late 1840s. It it sort of um, percolated a little bit, mostly beneath the surface, beginning in the 1850s um, with the Kansas-Nebraska Act, with the Dred Scott decision, so on. Uh, These things, um, members of Congress got to the point where they began to pack uh, heat uh, going into the chamber. Yeah. This is is a, a prelude to the main events of the book, but uh, you know, Senator Sumner from my home state of Massachusetts was actually um, beat to a pulp with a cane and nearly lost his life by a fellow congressman uh, for for taking too strident a stand on um, again. I was talking to I was talking to Antonio Delgado, uh, our lieutenant governor, about this the other day. Uh, you know, this illusion of comity that there's supposed to be comity in these when you deal with the other parties. I mean, uh, you know, uh, this illusion of comity is really a a, a a very thin, uh, illusory thing that's, that, that, that oftentimes over the course of our history has been just ripped asunder, right? Yeah. 
One one important uh, point for me in the book is um, the South. Uh, uh, slavery was obviously very bad to, to, to dwell on the slavery issue because it was the books an economic book. Slavery was the biggest industry in the country. Yeah, our country's people. original, our country's original sin, and and it's uh, original uh, sin. absolutely, uh, we we know um, obviously it was a terrible crime against the enslaved, the the the, the black men, women, and children who were slaves. Um, one important point of the book is that it was also um, uh, terribly, uh, terribly harmful and backward for the majority of poor whites. And the majority of whites in the South uh, were poor and, and, and didn't own slaves. Uh, this was a government, it was a, uh, maybe not quite a kleptocracy, but an aristocracy of planters run around their cotton cartel, reminding us very much of another um, current government, uh, to me anyway, which is the, the cotton of today, oil, and, and, and Putin's government, uh, it'll run for his uh, kleptocracy. Uh, but the, the I, I think too many Americans don't realize that um, this was not a popular government in the South. You, you may wonder, well, why did um, ordinary Southerners vote to secede? They didn't. Of the 11 states, only one uh, had a referendum. All the others decided to secede by conventions. The conventions were stocked with, um, with wealthy planters. Well, no, you, my, my, my son just wrote this book with Eric Holder about voting rights in America called Our Unfinished March that just came out. And reading it, I was stunned uh, to uh, understand really deeply, and uh, you talk about it too, uh, the, the vote itself was withheld very often from very many groups of people. And it was sort of designed that to be in certain ways by uh, groups of, of elitists. So th there's no L doubt about that. L Lincoln himself, for the most pragmatic of reasons was uh, slow to endorse um, uh, full um, the full franchise for African Americans, and, and he never did quite get there because he didn't uh, live uh, long enough. And one of the tensions in his life, surfaces in this book, is the tension between um, uh, getting the job, winning the war, which meant uh, keeping the Union States united, um, and and pushing forward on slavery, and that, that famous comment of his, which which may have been apocryphal, but it, but it represents his actions and his thoughts. So I, can, I think I can say it. Uh, he, he said, um, I want God on my side, uh, but I must have Kentucky. And that, and that you know, explains, it's, 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 it explains a whole lot. And look, he, he, he got there. He, he, um, um, he was the author of you know, the greatest um, act of liberation in American history, the, the Emancipation Proclamation, and, and then pushing forward the, the 13th Amendment. But uh, all the while, he was desperate uh, not to lose the, the fragile unity that he had uh, among the uh, loyal states and, and um, was perpetually uh, irritating or annoying the radicals. There's actually a beautiful letter from Senator Sumner, again, the, the uh, quite radical anti-slavery uh, senator from Massachusetts. And a constituent of his has, has written a complaint that why hasn't Lincoln freed the slaves yet? This is in the second year of the war. The Emancipation Proclamation is coming in months, but this constituent doesn't know it. And Sumner writes back and say, um, if you knew Lincoln as I knew him, uh, you would be grateful that everything you hold dearly, he has so close at heart. So, um, and, and actually Frederick Douglass, although he was frustrated as well uh, by Lincoln's pace, said, um, uh, a blind man can see where his heart is, and that was his way of you know he he, he knew where Lincoln was headed and where he where he ultimately went. I mean, what a, yeah, the, and the book does a wonderful job of uh, 
not only bringing him to to life, but also, the, as you say, Chase and, and the various people around him he charged with helping pull off this mission. But I, I have some, I, I, I want to ask you, this, uh, I have a few questions that I think will be useful to, to people to understand uh, what you do and why. And, and one is, like, why is finance such an animating lens through which to talk about and study America for you? Because it seems to often be the portal through which you view this and through which you take us. So what is it about a, a finance that, that draws you again and again? Well, you know, Michael Lewis, my uh, uh, esteemed colleague, said once, if you can write about one thing well, you don't have to write about anything else. And he was, he was, he was referring to a baseball writer. So, um, and- Roger Angel, was he talking about Roger Angel? Or it was George not Roger Will? Angel. Um, I believe it was um, one of these guys who made um, uh, more than statistics out of baseball statistics and help. I, right. I can't Bill James or something like maybe Bill James. Somebody, somebody like that. Um, so that's that's my uh, look. Finance takes you into everything. If you want to know about um, xenophobia and populism uh, in America, there are lots of ways to, to study it. You could do it by studying um, the history of ethnic prejudice, but you could also do it by studying um, uh, what happens to um, uh, lower classes when they feel that they're falling behind economically, because um, it's going to get you the same place. You know, when do we have episodes of xenophobia? Uh, when uh, uh, the lower middle class feels that they're not progressing, others are, they're getting the shaft and so on. You know, m m money sort of takes you um, everywhere. Everybody needs it and thinks about it. Um, so that's that's my portal because it's something I've written about um, my whole career, and and uh, you know understand, but it's not it's not unique for for, for um, uh, someone else. It would be politics and and uh, so on. Yeah, for, uh, and and writers definitely. We uh, there's no doubt that writers find the types of characters who light light them up for whatever reason and that takes them into universes and worlds if you think about the civil war for a second though a, a lot was happening in the war as i mentioned at the top uh uh the government created the railroad uh, a beautiful act we can talk about later the moral land grant uh, college act uh, the first immigration bill serious immigration bill to encourage immigration. lincoln was very strident about wanting the economy to keep growing as the war progressed, he, he realized the importance of that. But the financial stuff, um, creating the financing uh, that solidified and, and became the engine of the Union government, and the Union Army, had a particular role because without that, nothing else happens. You know, if you don't get the financing part right, then everything else stops. So it's, it's, the, it's the enabler. You can have all these ideas, but if you're broke, um, you know, what good are they? Uh, well, that leads to the uh, question that's tied into this, which is, in your view, are capitalism and America, are these synonymous things? Are their fates inexorably entwined? Uh, the fate of capitalism no, and the fate in, of America. Inexorably? I mean, the, the moment you said inexorably, um, you know, something would happen. I, I don't know that uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren would, would say they're inexorably uh, intertwined. Well, I'm not interviewing them. I'm interviewing you. Yeah, well, I would say that American prosperity, you, you can't separate um, the story of America from its prosperity. By the way, this, this doesn't just come from me. It's, you know, it, it, Abraham Lincoln felt this um, in his bones. To him, the, 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 the great um, 
the great realization of American society was that someone like him uh, could rise up. And, uh, you know, the, the, the old Horatio Alger that you, you've read is true. He, he was born in a log cabin. He did have a very tough um, young manhood. Uh, all of his schooling, as he said, didn't amount to probably one year. Um, and um, he, he, what was, uh, and, and, and he's fully as Horatio Alger like, like sayings, like uh, he, when a workers delegation from New York came to visit him in the White House, he said, uh, the man who was houseless sh shouldn't tear down the house of another, but better to build it up. So, you know, self-made man, very proud of being self-made. He said he's no one is more worthy than uh, someone who's built himself up uh, from poverty. But the but is, unlike some uh, self-made folks, um, he recognized the duty of government to help provide um, opportunity for others. So he believed in capitalism, but but capitalism with a but. Uh, the but being uh, the government should do all it could to, to, to help others in his situation have the opportunity. He had and maybe a few more opportunities because Lincoln didn't have many opportunities. That meant building roads, building railroads, building canals, which if you lived in the Western part of the country, in, in his day, the West meaning Indiana, Illinois, uh, then, then Nebraska, Kansas, and so on. You couldn't get good, goods to market. It, it was cheaper to ship goods from England to the East Coast than from the West to the East Coast. So you really needed, you, you couldn't build a highway by yourself or a railroad by yourself. Uh, nobody would build the transcontinental railroad because the investment was too great. The government had to do it. And, and under Lincoln, the government uh, did do it. Uh, we talked about establishing middle-class colleges. Remarkable act. And in a day, not only did most Americans not go to college, most didn't finish high school. And here's the government in the middle of a war saying we have to create a network of middle class colleges, not like Harvard and Yale back then teaching divinity. This was, you know, and then theology. These were colleges that would teach practical arts, engineering, mechanics, and so on, where middle class Americans uh, could learn uh, professions uh, and uh, careers. Uh, and, and, uh, Richard Hofstad, the famous historian, said of Lincoln that for Lincoln, uh, the test of a democracy uh, was economic. And, 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 and you see it um, again and again. He, the very first time he spoke to Congress, July 4th, uh, 1861, the war has just started. Congress is not in session, but he calls it in uh, to, to, raise, to get it to raise money and men. You know, the Union obviously needs both. It needs money, it needs men, soldiers. But he takes time out in his address to remind the Congress and the American people why they're fighting. He says they're fighting to preserve the union. He says fighting to preserve that form of government whose leading object, leading object, he says, is to elevate the condition of men. Yes, I'm, just to be, to be, I'm, I'm completely compelled by this and, and, and interested in it, Roger, but I'll be honest with you, I'm more interested in you and your take on it. And because I've read so many of your books and I've read them closely, and it seems to me that they, as in all, when you look at an author's body of work after so long, I you can see the interplay back and forth between the books and in the author's mind. So, for instance, this question of states' rights versus um, the, the federal government's rights, which yes. are all over the first half of the Lincoln book. It's heavy, this conversation. And and I think about Hamilton and the, and the book about the federal bank. And... Uh, and all the ways in which this is a question that's so current right now. And I'm wondering if while you were writing this book, you were aware of the echoes, meaning whatever, you know, I'm very clearly a pro-choice person. Whatever your view on that is, though, 
the question of the federal government versus the states and who, what was intended? Because you have two these really different conceptions, right? Hamilton's conception and Lincoln's conception, 100 years apart, but really different, or 80 years apart, really different views of what America means, right? Well, 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 Hamilton and Jefferson, excuse me, Hamilton and Lincoln on one side, and then, and then, yeah, you know, Jefferson, 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 are you talking, yeah, on the other, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, Jefferson said in 1825, when the federal roads were being proposed, he said, he said, in effect, disunion would be better. Disunion, and then a series of his followers, Democratic presidents, uh, Polk, Madison, uh, all, all of vetoed, ending with Buchanan, vetoed projects. Look, I think, um, uh, Lincoln got it right um, in the um, when they were debating an income tax in the in the uh, Civil War, uh, they were petrified because they knew how much Americans hated taxes. I mean, that was the story of the American Revolution, right? Britain wants to tax us. Goodbye, we're out of here. And some of them thought, some of the congressmen thought, to um, mitigate the odiousness of this tax, they should have it collected by the states, not the federal government. By the way, that's exactly what the Confederacy did with their tax, very small tax. Guess what? The states didn't collect it. They didn't even assess the roles. Thaddeus Stevens of Pennsylvania says, um, wait a second, we went through this. That was exactly the failure of the Articles of Confederation. And they had no, there was no financial power in the federal government. That's why we had to right. junk this and get the constitution. Now that we're fighting to defend the constitution, let's not make the same mistake twice. My view is, is that Lincoln got it right. Uh, Hamilton got it right. Um, you need uh, government in Lincoln's words to do things that others uh, can't do for themselves. Uh, people can't build uh, railroads for themselves. Uh, people can't set up uh, schools for themselves. Lincoln set up um, the first uh, agriculture, the first the first department that got involved in private industry. Radical thing, the Department of Agriculture. Agriculture is the biggest industry in the country. It was going to distribute seeds and know-how to farmers. Many of the farmers in the West part of the country live hundreds of miles from other farmers. They didn't know what the techniques were. He thought it could help them. He called it the People's Department. In contrast, his fellow Kentuckian, this was proposed before the war, only passed during the war, when the Democrats left. His fellow Kentuckian, Jefferson Davis, said, Yes, agriculture needs no teaching by Congress. I, well, Jefferson Davis was given a cotton plantation. Well, yeah, this is amazing. When you, I didn't know this one until I read your, this part of the it's book, so, but if your that, brother gives you a cotton plantation, yes. He's right. You don't need anything from Congress. Your brother's given it to you. But guess what? There were nine million people in the Confederacy, and most of them didn't, hadn't been given a plantation by their brothers. And that was, you know, this sort of extreme um, laissez-faire view, uh, and 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 suppress. My, I, I think Thaddeus Stevens got it right. The reason we went to a constitutional government rather than this 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 Article of Confederation, where we really didn't have a federal government, was it didn't work. It was it was too weak, uh, so I think that's right. Now you asked me, does the, however, another question before this is capitalism uh, indelible to the American story, and I think it is, and I think that's a good thing. You know, I mean, we've had it's basically a story of remarkable prosperity, and if you look at which way immigrants go, you know, they're still coming here. You know, poor people from around the world still want to come here, and that 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 says you know a, a whole lot. And that, that's a good thing. I took issue in the book with the part of the 1619 project that said that slavery was sort of a prototype of modern capitalism, because I think it's, that's dead wrong. Slavery was a, a basically feudal 
backward looking system. They wanted to preserve what there was. They didn't want any progress. They didn't want any change. They certainly didn't want a market labor system. Modern American capitalism has a lot of flaws, but the one thing that it ain't is static. It changes every day. Everything's for sale every day. The, 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 the man or woman who runs a business who, who's not out there trying to reinvent his business, probably out of business tomorrow. It is the exact antithesis of this backward looking, uh, I would say semi-feudal and in many ways pre-capitalist. Um, which as uh, you would say in the book, like, which, which also used religious justification uh, to sell themselves on the idea of, of slavery. Yes, yes, they said, um, they, they said um, that uh, uh, it was a good thing for its Christianizing um, influence. Look, I mean, they were, they were just, um, you know, completely wrong. They were way behind history. It was way too late not to get that, that you know, in, in the development of Western liberalism to get um, how antithetical wow. Uh, slavery was, and and um, you know we have we have another you know extreme divide now um, on the on the issue of choice and or, or pro life in, in this country, and that's and and um, it's it, it's a pretty rough divide if you think about how is it how is it going to be resolved. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you this question, which is when I look at these back and forths that go on throughout. The course of your of your books, right? I mean, I know the Buffett book and the Long Term Capital book super well. I've read each, both those books more, more than more than once. And then you jump into history. You know, those were very recent history books. I mean, the Buffett book is about uh, you know it was like an ongoing thing, and right. someone who's right. still happening. And Long Term Capital was about this uh, this exposure. But to, I'll tell you, man, I'm uh, you know there's this another terrible for me terrible ruling today from the Supreme Court. Uh, I don't know if you know, I'm educated as a lawyer, even though I never practiced. So I read Supreme Court cases pretty closely. And, uh, you know, this this ruling about this coach who who prays after games and gets everybody uh, together to pray. And they they reverse the lower court and they've, they're they allowing him to continue praying. And it, it just reminded me that religion is often, I would say, religion is often used as a cudgel by all sorts of sides in this capital as a, a stand in for justifying a bunch of capitalistic acts. It seems to me everyone tries to claim religion in, in America, and everybody wants God on their side, as Bob Dylan said. Yes, yeah, no, exactly seen, right. I haven't seen the the, uh, the decision, so I can't. Uh, it's fine. Uh, I'm not trying to pin you. It's not what we're here for, but it is a. You'll read it. It's 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 a very. Uh, I think one thing crazy decision is a is a continuing strain uh, is this issue of um, federalism or you know, states' rights. Uh, or or federal power, and that was you know that was the issue in the my previous book about the creation yes. of the Federal Reserve. We were yes. one of the last developed countries uh, to have a central bank because because um, Andrew Jackson had killed it because he didn't want a strong central bank, and it, it remained. They couldn't even call it a central bank when they were forming the Federal Reserve. They had they had to call it all sorts of other things. Uh, you know, remember Wilson said we'll we'll, we'll do it by we'll, we'll do it Woodrow Wilson who finally did it. We'll do it by um, some other name, and we're. We're still a country wrestling with: Should we have a national healthcare system? Other countries don't think twice about it. It's like you got a country, you got a national healthcare system. We have fifty different incorporation laws. Every state has its own incorporation. Well, law. well this part of this, this the Lincoln book, and the, I mean, look, the the Federal Bank book. I really loved reading that book. Um, that's when I first reached out to you. Was when I was finishing that book. Um, uh, but both books together, and that. Uh, uh, for me, uh, juxtaposed to the times we're living in, 
or even running parallel to the times we're living in. And I've read like you have. I've read all the Steven Pinker stuff. I understand we're living in the best time ever. I I know all that, right? But right. it's still like what you just said about that we're still marching forward and the immigrants come here and cap. I get all that. But does it ever make you sad, man, as you're writing about this stuff that we just repeat this history over and over again? That that the divides, that's what I meant by calcified. Yeah, there's catalysts for change, but but there's also what, this. What, what, what made me sad researching this book was as you get um, intimate with Lincoln's writings and letters and so on. Yes. And, um, you know, wow, um, could we use his like again? <laughs> yeah. let me, let me just, um, and by the way, I, I mean from both sides, because remember Lincoln was a, um, you know, within the Republican ferment, he, he was a moderate. That's why, that's why they picked him, because he wasn't, you know, too radical on slavery. They, and 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 uh, Horace Greeley. Well, as you say, he wasn't for the he wasn't for the full franchise uh, in a timely enough manner for many people. But it, maybe it was why he was able to, to lead at that done. time. So I, I understand Greeley that said, duality. Horace Greeley said before he was elected, before before he ran at the convention, he said, uh, "You know, the people will only swallow a little anti-slavery. We need, you know, and and you know, you can you can sort of see Joe Biden, um, you know, saying to Elizabeth Warren and and and." In 2020, is there is there the strategy? You're talking about what their campaign plans could be. You know, the, the people will only swallow a little bit. Um, uh, but Lincoln, I, I want to give you an idea. I, I always come back to this quotation. Lincoln served one term in Congress. The only time he was in Washington before um, he became president uh, in the late uh, 1840s. And he then, as later, he was a big proponent of uh, so-called internal improvements, roads, canals built by the federal government. And he's proposed a bill for those. And a Democrat on the other side, Lincoln is then a Whig, which you know, the, the Republicans hadn't been born yet. The, the Democrats hate this stuff. They're, they're the party of Andrew Jackson. They're the party of Tommy Jefferson. They're the party of laissez-faire, small government, all that stuff. Guy rips it up at the inside. Terrible bill, terrible proposal, gonna ruin the country and so on and so on. When he's finished, just you know, ripping this up, Lincoln stands up, doesn't defend it. He just says most things, especially of government policy, aren't all good or all evil. Most bills have some good and some evil in them. And we're just trying to find ones with more good than more evil. Yeah, you'd love to hear that from Mitch McConnell. You'd love to hear it from Chuck Schumer. No, I don't have all the answers. No, you don't have all the answers. We're just trying to get things that are. 55% good and only 45% bad. So that the But even in his times, but I guess the thing that that's about maybe about the American character that I pick up from reading your work is yeah, maybe there are figures who can advance things in moments or who can articulate the thing in the way that we'd hope. But they meet a lot of resistance in their own times too. Meaning look like um, taking politics out of it, Cory Booker speaks exactly that way. I'm saying whether you agree with Cory Booker's side or not, that is Cory Booker's idiolect. His mode of expression is right. that mode of expression. You know, I think uh, Cory Booker was going to light the world on fire in 2020. Yeah. And he lit nothing on fire. Uh, Emerson, the poet, said of Lincoln uh, yeah. that he leads so gently, he almost seems to be following. It's just, and, and you, know, you said, well, many figures meet resistance. Earlier you said, well, yeah, the, the, you, you reference this religious decision. I don't know the particular decision, but um, uh, if you attack 
religion, the religion of the people, then you're not leading so gently that you seem to be following. You're going to get resistance. So the um, you know the left yes. also has to realize you 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 have to respect you 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 can't win by making fun of or debasing the voters or, yeah. or their uh, oh for sure uh, you're a hundred percent right uh, uh, on that uh, believe me my my left wing brethren will hate me for saying that but Matt Iglesias's column today was perfect because he articulated like why if you want to get elected from the left you have to sign on to a whole bunch of popular things that are popular with not just the, the left. Uh, you have to know how to do that. No, no doubt about it. Do you find when you think about, yes, leading in the way you're discussing, the possibility of there being any real unity in the country? In other words, do, you're, I know you have children. Do, do you think there's a world where their children have a chance to live in an America that isn't beset by these divisions? Is it possible? Do we need another, do we need, do, are you a believer in the great leader theory or are you a group believer in the kind of vacuum presents that theory? One of the smartest people I know, um, Warren Buffett, is um, you know, subject to my first book, is, is one of the world's great optimists. I mean, he's he, he, he is the greatest cheerleader for the United States. Why shouldn't he be? He, he you know, middle class guy. And look what happened to him. Um, but I, I think it's very important. And, and um, inherently, yes, I'm a glass half uh, full person. Things can change, you know, um, very quickly um, uh, for 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 better or for worse. I mean, if you looked at uh, when Barack Obama began his um, his second term, in 2013, uh, you know, if you'd been asked to draw a list of 20 people who might be the next president, if I had been, uh, Donald Trump would not have been on that list. Not not 40 people, not 60 people. Right. Um, you know, maybe a couple of football coaches would run the list before him, but not not Donald Trump. And, and to me, that was a, a change wholly for the worse. But um, you just you, you don't know. You don't know. Things can change. Um, uh, quickly and unexpectedly that's that's what makes life fascinating you know the old aphorism about uh, uh man plans and god smiles of course of course a lot of like course. that um uh L lincoln was not um uh he had trouble being accepted in his own time by by progressives but right. most progressives they thought he was uncouth he was back slapping you know he, he he salmon chase comes out to see him takes a few railroads, but before he's elected, I, I'll get back to your question in a second, but um, uh, he, he's tired. Yeah. This is, this is Lincoln's been elected, but he hasn't taken office yet. He wants to interview Chase for Secretary of Treasury. Chase leaves his card, sends his card to Lincoln residence and saying that, that he's gonna check into his hotel and, and he'll come by when he's, when he's rested. Lincoln comes bounding over, you know, the prairie lawyer, back slapping, slapping on the back and everything. Um, you know, Chase is very like, ooh. Uh, you know, this is this isn't so respectful. He's a little, you know, we're, we're um, uh, and and um, there are many unkind descriptions in the book of of Lincoln. From uh, there's one from um, uh, a guy named Strong, a Wall Street lawyer, who kept a terrific diary these years, and and he describes him, um, you know, almost as ape-like in his features. I mean, he's so he's so put off by uh, Lincoln's um, cracker barrel. Uh, you know, 
unsophisticated mannerisms. But 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 by the way, he comes to realize, um, you know, he he turns he, he realizes his greatness. His, and so, but but it, it it took a while. I look. I feel bad now that the country. I feel. I, back to your question. I feel bad to see the 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 depth of these divisions. And by the way, I don't. Um, you know, I'm pro-choice, but I don't. I I think um, I think pro-life is a principled stance. It's just it's not my principle, but 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 it's um, you know the gun stuff drives me crazy because I don't see any. You know. I, don't, I, I just I just don't get it. Uh, you mean the, why there should be uh, automatic weapons? You don't get why there should be automatic weapons in people's correct. hands. I think I think if you want to form a if Pennsylvania wants a militia, fine, let people drill. <laughs> well, you know that's that's yes. what they had. In mind. But um, I uh, know there are very earnest. I'll say I'm. I couldn't you couldn't be more pro-choice? But I absolutely know there are incredibly earnest pro-life people. I'm just not yeah. sure those are the people who. I'm not sure the Ralph Reed who was the person who got the party. Pushing in that direction is one of those people. That's all. But yes, yeah. I, I I don't know. Can't can't comment. But but I, I it it feels bad to see um, the uh, depth of divisions. It feels bad to see uh, you know particularly women in part of the country I live for the ones I know feel as though um, they've had a right that was part of how yes. they grew up and their you know maybe their mothers being in their age. Uh, as if history is not supposed to go backward, it's supposed to go forward. Um, and the, the, the depth of the anguish is, is, is real. It's, 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 it's as if, you know, the, the rug has been, been pulled out from them and we're going back into yes. the darker time. Um, but it's just not in me to be, um, so it's, it, it's, I feel bad right now, but I don't feel pessimistic. I'm not without That's optimism. Great. Russ Duhat in the in the Times uh, today yesterday. I don't know when it went online and when it appeared in print, but but he cautioned the left against um, future fear. You know, the, this sort of blinkered, fearful view of the future. Uh, and, and and I don't have a fearful, blinkered view of the future. We have you know we got a lot of work to do in this country. I, I um, yes, I'm, so I'm hopeful. I mean, you track all this stuff very very closely. Yeah, I mean, I. Uh... I can't let a Dowfit mention go. I'm sorry on my podcast without saying I find that guy to be a bad faith actor. But uh, you know, it's fine. You don't have to comment on it. Anyone who's writing from a perspective that's only informed by their religion is, is has a, is a problem for for, for me. And I uh, he's been wrong a lot. But uh, I I'm fascinated endlessly. You brought up Buffett. I'm endlessly fascinated by him and by the relationship with Buffett and Munger. And I I have to think. That you've thought deeply about. Oh, by the way, I'll just interject for a second. Uh, an outright, you know, uh, a complete conservative till about age thirty or so, and and look at him now. I mean, you know, look at him for the, re- the the last sixty years. So, but go ahead. That wasn't but, your question. No, but I can't imagine that you're not thinking about writing the second book because that book was 30, 30 years ago, and they've the two of them have had. I mean, the history of them from that time forward is even more. St- impressive and staggeringly amazing and worth study. Probably the biggest pro-choice uh, financial supporter uh, in the country's history. You know, I like to think that, um, although Buffett owns more companies now, he's way more richer, um, that um, that the basic Buffett we knew now 
is in play was in place when I wrote the book, which yes was was uh, it was published nineteen ninety five. So right. that's um, what is that? That's twenty seven. Twenty seven years. Twenty seven yeah. years ago. Yeah. But, so, you know, look the the did he own um, the Berlin Northern Railroad then? No, the Berkshire. No, did it own um, you know. Uh, hundreds of billions of dollars of Apple stock? No, it, it didn't. You know, that, but the, don't you think the place that he and, and you're partially responsible? It's fascinating, right? I mean, your book is partially responsible for Buffett's place in America now because yours was the really, you know, it's the only comprehensive, really, really takes you inside of the way this guy thinks. Uh, but, uh, but but what I was going to say is, don't you think that this friendship with Munger, the way that they're now TikTok memes and their Instagram memes and their every word is collected, have you not considered really writing a second book that focuses on 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 the, the two of them t t in a way and, and, and all that they've done since? You know, when, um, when Buffett was at University of Pennsylvania, uh, 17, 18 years old, his fraternity, he wasn't he wasn't the most popular guy. He wasn't that outward guy. He wasn't that self-confident. He was not a ladies' man. He was an athlete. Uh, but but the, his fraternity brothers realized he had a certain skill, and they would prop him up against the wall, and they'd just throw questions at him. You know, it, awesome. it could be anything. You know, wh what's the meaning of the gold standard? You know, who 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 were the kings who came after Edward? Whatever it was, and and he would just to hear him talk, just to hear him answer questions, just to hear him explain things, and. Uh, 50 years later, he was doing it at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meetings and doing it in private with Munger. It's, it's not a different person. Um, I, I don't think, this, the, the other thing is when you write a biography, it's a, um, there are a million ways to write that biography. They're just, you know, it's, it's, it's not like taking a photograph. It's like painting a portrait. You can yes. use any set of oils. You could use watercolors. You could shade it darker or less. Dark. I mean, Brilliant. I've never painted a picture in my life, but it's, it's that personal. And it's not only personal to the writer, it's personal to the writer in that stage of their life. So if I describe Buffett now, it would come out differently. I'm different. You know, for better or worse, I've seen more, I've lived more. Um, of course. Probably a little more idealistic than I was at, you know, in my late 30s and early 40s. So um, uh, I, I gave that book my best shot, is how I feel. And I don't. There, there are a few Buffett writers who've gone on to continue to write, you know, every time he buys a new company, they add a chapter and so on, which is great for them. That 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 motivates them. But um, I want to feel somewhere close to the frontier of of being on something new for me. That's interesting. So you need to you, you don't feel that alive in your curiosity toward his journey right now. You feel like you sated your curiosity on some level. Yes. I mean, I look, I, I, I did one um, new edition of the book. And that was um, when uh, his first wife, Susie Buffett, died. I remember. I read that. Yep. Okay. So he had to figure out at that point, you know, the whole, the fortune was going to go to her. She wasn't there. And he had to figure it out. And then he figured out it would go to the, 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 the preponderance would go to the Gates Foundation. That had sort of been a hole in, in his plans uh, and his operation in the first book because, yeah, here's the richest guy in America at that point, the second richest person in the world at that point. And um, he'd been a little slow um, to get really involved in, in philanthropy. And so I thought this was a, um, particularly because it's philanthropy that will, will determine his legacy in the hereafter. You know, he, he's not gonna continue picking stocks after his lifetime, but 
but his philanthropic contributions will live a long, long, long time after his lifetime. Look at the Ford Foundation. So yes. I thought this was a, for his legacy, a defining change, and it warranted, um, uh, you know, a, a short epilogue, which which I added to the book. Um, and if, you know, if something else were to come along like that, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'd consider it. But um, just to say, um, you know, he's better known now than he was, or he's richer, or he owns different companies, and you know, I, I, I'd rather. Um, you know, I'd rather write a Red Fed Reserve one time and Lincoln in another and when genius failed another time. And, and um, yes, I had a great yes. time writing about Origins of the Crash. I had a great time writing. That was about about Enron and the uh, the dot-com failures and um, uh, the scandals of the early uh, 2000s, which really got... Well, think, why do you think we don't... So here's a question, because you've written about a couple of different crashes. <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm, I, as one looks at the the, the current situation which ties into a bunch of things you've written about because the Fed is so involved uh, in trying to fix the situation. And you look at the Bitcoin, not just Bitcoin, the whole crypto crash. Yeah. Is that stuff interesting to you? Do you follow it very closely? Do you see echoes? Uh, because it seems to me that like, and, and this is in this book too, when very smart people miscalculate, from reading your books, it seems like when very smart people miscalculate, they're very slow to recognize that it's a bad miscalculation uh, because they're right so much of the time and they've been proven out and they've gone up against opponents and vanquished them. And so I wonder about that as I look at the current situation, like, if, again, if it's destined to repeat itself. I would say, um, you know, Jay Powell, to his credit, I mean, I, thought, I think Jay Powell was wrong. I said so a year ago. I, I, I think that... Um, you know, inflation was there; it was visible, and 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 they were slow. But but um, I don't know if he's used these words, but his, his actions clearly communicate that that he realizes they were wrong, and and um, and they've turned around, you know, sharply. And whether it's sharper, you know, how far they're going to have to go, but but you know, we don't know yet, and, and probably he doesn't know yet. They, they, they don't know yet. Um, that that was a. Uh, John Kenneth Galbraith said in uh, financial knowledge is unlike other sorts of knowledges because other knowledges, you know, build on each other. I mean, once, you know, we don't have to go over and rediscover the salt vaccine. We got the salt vaccine. Right. You know, and, 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 and people aren't getting polio. And that, right. Know. But in finance, you keep getting, you keep developing a salt vaccine and you throw it out and you get polio and you develop it again. And, you know, I, I grew up uh, during the great inflation, what we call the, inflation in the 70s and 80s and it was so hard it was so painful and uh thanks really to one man paul volcker uh it was licked it was cured and and the fed earned such trust after that and to think that um they have gone um you know a good ways towards squandering is, is unbelievable i mean it was just this is um you know under this modern monetary theory we could just spend anything and it wouldn't matter we're, what, you know, that sounds something like, you know, a monetary theory developed by Timothy Leary right. after a long, you know, tripping session. Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. Of, of course, of course it matters. Look at the Confederacy, you know. I mean, you know, they printed more than a billion dollars a bill. Do you think it mattered? Their inflation was 9,000% in the Confederacy. Well, yeah. I mean, your book, this book, but your book on the Fed, too, when, when uh, I love that section about all the different money 
uh, I, in fact, I took a, one of those terms and threw it in billions, which was like one of the one of the terms for a certain kind of continental money. What is it? Uh, was fascinating to me. Like I didn't walk around with this knowledge of of the fact that every territory had its own currency. Many, many, uh, many. There, there, there were, you know, there were. I mean, there was many currencies. There were banks, and it it, it didn't take um, a lot in Indiana to to. Um, you know, to, to, to get a bank charter and, and and no one looked very hard about what your reserves were, or whether you had reserves, which is why you, the, the money was no good the, the further you got from Indiana, the, the, these notes. Look, you asked about Bitcoin. I, I, I think this is, um, you know, one of the great bubbles in, in history. And it's this time is it's it is I think it's reflective of the priestly quality of the Digerati. Uh, you know, we all know how frustrated we are when we can't figure out our phones, our televisions, our toasters, whatever it is, these people who can figure it out for us, you know, they're the high priests. Okay, they're only 12 years old, but but they're the high priests. You know, once upon a time, oil men were the high priests, then, um, you know, uh, financiers, you know, uh, were the high priests. Um, and and um, now really it's it's the Dijerati and, and, and you know, they've come along and said that they've created something as scarce and, and because it's scarce, um, you know, you should pay lots of money for it. And and, and people are. And Bitcoin's been around for 15 years. Uh, it's slower than the credit card system. It can never handle the payments, not, not a hundredth of them that, that the credit card system handles. I don't know anybody who buys anything with Bitcoin. You don't say, you don't go home and say, wow, my dollars are worth more Bitcoin. You say, how many dollars are my Bitcoin worth? Because dollars are the currency. And the one country where they tried to do it, El Salvador, they tried to make it a currency was because they had no currency. And guess what? They lost half of their of their assets. And the only one who has the key to the Bitcoin there is a president. Um, so oh, yeah. even, you know, who knows if even the half that's left of Salvador's assets uh, will remain where the people will be stolen. So the priestly thing makes sense to me, but what do you think, because you've written about this for a long time, I mean, long-term capital is also about priests. What do you think it is in human nature that falls again and again for these bubbles that, that willfully, it's not, because it's the Salk thing. I understand that's the technical reason, which is the financial product changes. So learning how, what the downside of the financial product is, is its own, requires a new discipline. New, new things, yeah. Yeah, but in a, what is it in our nature, really, that fall, we fall for it again and again and again? Well, new things are very seductive. You know, there's an old saying, if, if, if we didn't have bubbles, we wouldn't have had railroads. So, I mean, right. the, the rails are good, but they but guess what? We didn't need four railroads to, between two points. We only needed one, and they built too many of them. And they, they were, you know, when's the last time you had a tandy computer? They, they, right. they, 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 they were more, most of them didn't survive. Um, in, in finance, per se, there's if you follow the business cycle, uh, conditions improve. There's more money out there, so banks make a loan, um, and, and they have they have strict rules about who can get that loan. The loan's repaid, and next time um, they're a little more liberal about the loan. You know, maybe maybe the loan to value ratios is is a little bigger. Um, you know, maybe the loan to income ratio is a little bigger next time, and so you you keep pushing, and every time you're just a little less cautious. Uh, nothing happens. Uh, so that process, by definition, uh, only stops when when it fails. 
and and sometimes you have a um, uh, a central bank or a regulator in one form or another who says, no mas, this has gone far enough. I remember the Fed was urged to do that in 2004 and 2005. They said, these liar loans don't look so good and, and, and all the gimmicks. And sometimes the regulators are, are as asleep as the bankers. And that's what happened with, um, you know, I think the, the mortgage crash was, in terms of the ones that have crashed was the greatest, I think, of our lifetimes where you saw bankers not wanting to know what what is a liar loan you know do you have enough money yeah. to pay me don't tell me that's what a liar like don't tell me well I mean, yeah they they just wanted the appraisal i mean they were they were as you've written about i mean they were just bonusing the appraisers when the appraisers approved the appraisal instead of yeah. for ferreting out the people they shouldn't give the loans to it was crazy now there was some fraud in that but and and some people disagree with me strongly but my belief is that in most bubbles, more of it is um, is uh, Keynesian spirits, animal spirits, than fraud. That most of the the fraud is know. just the lubricant. No, and that the the fraud was just the lubricant to screw over the actual end user. Like the appraisal thing was there was a lot of fraud at that level, but it you know at the home appraiser level. But of course, that was just the very outer ring of I mean, the Dick problem. Fold, Dick Fold, when Lehman went down, nobody. Yes more or less own more Lehman stock than Dick Fult. I mean, they, 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 they begin to believe, um, you know, their own BS. And I, I think, you know, they, they believe it more than anybody else. Uh, or they believe that, you know, the, the, you know, the, the old Buffett line, they don't ring a bell, the, 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 you know, before the market turns. They believe that somehow, you know, oh, well, 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 when the market turns, I'll get out. Guess what? It's not so easy. No, it's not so easy turns. when the market and, turns to and, get and, out. And, and, and Lehman is failing, and two days later, AIG is going to fail. It's not so easy, but it doesn't, you know, that's a lesson of human nature. Uh, there's a fear of missing out. It's it's very hard to do what Buffett has done time and time again, which is to say he does it insurance just, just you know, almost every year or two. He says uh, the prices are getting too rich. I'm going to stop writing policies. I'm going to stop, stop making money for a while. Very hard to do. Yeah, it's and, almost and insurance impossible is to do. Risk. Insurance is risk. I mean, and, and interestingly, I mean, it is sort of like what you're saying about not wanting to just go write the Buffett book, which is you're going to go instead do the kind of hard work of the next thing. So with just our remaining time, can we just talk about process a little bit? Because you're so good at this, man. That's why I've read so many of your books uh, you. about things that maybe normally I wouldn't be necessarily interested in. Uh, although now I, I am completely interested in all that stuff. But- what is the process when you're looking at maybe three things you might write about? What is the process that allows you to choose? And then what are kind of like the first steps that you take in the research phase? The process, um, you know, look, I've, I've always been into history. Even my training with Lois as a journalist, you know, writing present day stuff. But in, even in the early books, as you've noted, the, you know, there was a lot of history in there. And I, I kind of crammed as much as I could. And um, at a certain point, I didn't want to keep writing contemporary bubble stories because I just felt in the same way that rewriting the Buffett story uh, would be repeating myself, uh, you know, writing the story of how the Federal Reserve, you know, bailed us out of yet another. I just, you know, I'd, I'd written that a bunch of times. It's a great story, but but I wanted to feel fresh and challenged. Um, I looked for um, both in the last book about the, Origin of the Federal Reserve, which is basically a political story, uh, and the Lincoln book, which is basically a political story. I looked for um, a really fascinating live historical drama 
where um, my um, small sliver of expertise, financial expertise, would let me shed a, a light on it that um, you know that 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 hadn't been front and center. And then I and I look for something that really that really um, turned me on. You know, one thing that really turns me on is to find one character who believes in something passionately. And it doesn't. It almost doesn't. You know, if if your passion is um, you know to build um, you know better exits uh, of off the Cross Bronx Expressway. I mean, but if you really believe in it, I'm picking the most prosaic thing I can think of. So the Fed book, there's this guy, Paul Warburg, this German banker. He comes over to America, he moves to America because he marries an American girl and, and, and she doesn't want to move. And, and he, he goes to work. Uh, June Loeb is his in-law's firm. Uh, and um, he's just going to be one more um, you know, wealthy German Jewish banker uh, in the, in the um, first decade of the 20th century. But he realizes, he, he notices that America has these periodic money shortages when rates just go up to crazy amounts, interest rates, and the system sort of shuts down because there's no central bank uh, to level out uh, the ups and downs of, of the money market. And he makes it his mission, uh, you know, his passion to, 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 to create a central bank in the United States. And imagine if you, uh, you know, at 30 years old, not 12 years, 30 years old, you'd go to a foreign country, Germany, you don't really speak the language, you don't know the customs, you don't know the political system, and you decide they should have some institution America has that Germany doesn't. I mean, how would you begin? And he does this. You know, he, he writes in his halting English that becomes better English. He becomes a citizen. He begins to meet and, and, and get to know the important congressmen. He travels about um, and, and he makes it happen. And the, the story of his passion grabbed me. And, and you know, in the Civil War book, you have these figures, um, you know, Sam and Chase, uh, Lincoln, um, you know, Thaddeus Stevens. They're just very arresting figures. And then for me, it's, it's also a question of, you know, what grabs me and, and what will grab the public? Because, you know, look, I want to be read. So, um, you know, they're, they're great, great stories to be written that are so academic. I don't mean that in a pejorative way that they're not going to get a big readership, but, but I don't have a tenure chair anywhere. So uh, I got to pay the rent. Yeah, it's important and, to you to have your books uh, read just by a, people. It's just important to me that they are read. So that's the process. And then when I start, um, particularly for historical stuff, I read as much as it seems sensible of what's been published. Yes. Um, and you know, with the Civil War, you know, you, you, you go into, you know, I, I live in Cambridge, right in Harvard Square, Widener Library, you know, the, the main Harvard Library. And, and you go into one of the areas where they have Civil War books and sort of gasp because you know, of course. there's a lot, of, there's a lot of them. But you just read and read and read. You, you, you read particularly the ones that, that touch on your area, but you read other ones too, because you have to know what's going on in that period. You have to know what, what happened before that period. You read biographies of the people who you're going to be writing just about this slice of, so you know when they got to 1860, where, you know, where they were in their own careers and so on. They got there. And then at a certain point in the research, um, and, and the point comes for different people. You know, it, it comes, you know, for Robert Cow after about 20 years of research. And, yes. And, and, and I say that admiringly. I was going to say what you said, the Cross Bronx thing. I was going to say Caro's whole career started because of that. But exactly. Yeah. Probably <laughs> but, most, yeah. 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 How I thought of it. So, but, but, but at a certain point, you feel as though the published writers you're reading are, are telling you 
more things that you know than vice versa. Ah, it's interesting. To one to the archives and the um, contemporary uh, journals and newspapers and um, and firsthand sources. And um, you know, with a field like the Civil War, the same thing happens. At a certain point, you could always go to more archives, but but um, you want to get the book out. You know, I spent five years of my life on this book, uh, and and you want to. At a certain and as point. you're researching, are you are you beginning to figure out the way you're going to tell the story? What your starting point yeah, is? So, look, you always, yeah. I mean, hopefully you have that early. Uh, I wrestle a little bit where the starting point is. You, you want chronology on your side. I don't. I don't want to be like Thomas Pynchon and go back and forth. Nineteen to Julio Cortazar. That's great for some great fiction writers, but I think you know. From from past onward, you know, future is 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 the way most readers of history um, think. But it doesn't mean. But you don't necessarily know where the chapter breaks are. What are going to be big moments? I, I wanted some prehistory in this book, you know, meaning before Fort Sumter. Right. And how much of that was was very important. I, I I felt strongly you had to know about Lincoln's early career, how important economics were to Lincoln, because that people don't know that. But um, I kind of had to get that through, get through with that um, briskly. So you got to Fort Sumter uh, quickly, and, and and some other get through some other things briskly. But but to tell some of the story of the 1850s as a, as the country moved towards uh, the apocalypse, and um, so I'm really taking notes in, in in a few ways. If I find out something that's interesting about Abraham Lincoln, um, I'll put it you know in a file maybe that's that's called Lincoln, or maybe it's about early Lincoln. It'll be young Lincoln. And, and, and if it's during his White House years, it'll be Presidential Lincoln. If that thing also has to do with the, the tax system, I'll put it in a file about the tax system, which created in 1862 in the second year of his administration. So cross-referencing different things. So, so I know when I go to, to write about either Lincoln's role in the income tax or about the income tax itself, I can find this, this nugget as I'm writing you know, e either way. How do you, and then we're going to, because your, 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 your books are so, they're, they're fluid sentence to sentence, which is uh, just, you know, that's just a writer's rhythm and the rhythm in which you write is one that I relate to. So it just works for, for me per, as a reader, right? But, but also how do you, um, how do you track the whole of the narrative? At what point in the process are you looking at the whole narrative and, and wondering, okay, you know, is this through line telling uh, is it compelling enough? Uh, do you do that as you're outlining? Do you only do that when you've completed a draft? Like, how do you look at the the whole thing and know? I write. I do an outline thing? after the research. I don't write a word of the text beforehand because you really have to know how the book ends before you write. You know, if 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 um, you know, to, to pick an, a too obvious example, but if you didn't know that Lincoln had been assassinated. Um, you would write you would write his presidential years very differently, but yes. but this um you know he comes to um, there's a point in the in the book where he he passes the transcontinental he signs the transcontinental railroad act, and he says he looks forward to um, writing it when he leaves office. Oh yeah. Well, that has a particular poignance because we know he's never going to. Well, get you there. foreshadow it. You foreshadow it yeah. in a couple different ways, actually. Yeah. Right. Right. So, but but only because you know that he's never going to get there. He never. 
you know, he, he, he's, um, uh, uh, he, he's never going to get there. He's never going to have a, a post-presidential uh, period of his life. So you have to know how the book ends and, and in more subtle ways than that. So you have to, and then once you're done with the research, um, you, you do an outline, but you have to think about, you know, what are the themes? How do they connect? How does the, the Confederacy's <laughs> failure to develop a, a federal platform in any meaningful sense and to develop a, a economic opportunity for the little guy relate to uh, the union's opposite you know, course? Uh, and, and um, you know, then along the way, you hopefully are, are a lot's going on in this book and you're hopefully checking yourself and saying, am I on track here? Uh, there, there are lots of ways to go in, in, in a Civil War book. A lot happens. I, I don't write much about the military, but you have to have enough about the military. You know, people have to know that, um, you know, Gettysburg is happening. That just give them a little bit of a, you know, it will run the second battle will run. So that a little bit of a, while this financial economic stuff and the emancipation stuff are happening, they know um, it's important also because the South is losing the economic war way before they're losing the military war. So it's important for that reason too. And I hopefully show that. And so you're doing that and looking at it. Do you re are you a rewriter as you go or are you a rewriter at the end? Both, both. I mean, Me I rewrite massively as I go along. And then, um, you know, I have... Uh, five uh, terrific readers, uh, beginning with my wife and, and others, and every, they all looked at the book and chapter by chapter, and, and I rewrote after every one of those readers uh, looked at it, and then um, uh, I have the best editor, and got off in the business, and, and she looks at the, she reads the whole book, and then um, uh, I gave it a thorough uh, rewrite. I mean, not not rewriting the whole book, but, but, you know, ran through yeah, the Yeah, of course, a polish. You did, then you did a polish on the thing. I mean, a, but a serious polish. And, and um, so, you know, there's a lot of rewriting. There's a lot of, I, I don't know how many sentences were in the first draft that survived, but, but. Um, I mean, you can feel it. That's why the, but it's so funny because the your books read uh, as though they're effortless, not the research, it's clear, the thinking, but the, the writing, it does feel like, you know, you're, you're the, as I say, you're a very fluid writer, but of course, that's because of the uh, elbow grease. Like that is just what it takes uh, all the time. I don't know any writers who really don't have to do that, who are good. So that's just what it takes. It seems well, I to appreciate me. that. Thanks. Uh, all right, you're, you have to probably uh, go to sleep because we're- I'm gonna, I'm gonna have dinner and go to sleep. So this has been terrific. I really enjoyed talking to you. All right, man, everybody, I'll see you uh, next time you can find me. Uh, you know, we're online at Brian Koppelman, everyone. All right, thanks for seeing us.